0: Diving into data. Diving, di- diving, d- d- data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of Diving into Data. I'm your host TC Riley. Hope everyone's doing well today. Hope everyone's staying healthy. Got an exciting show for everyone today. We're going to dive into a topic that is very, very interesting to me. It's something I've continuously tried to educate myself on. I know there's so much more out there for me to learn, but I want to dive into being smart about artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is one of those flash words, um, especially around the data industry, but really in uh, just 2020 and just about every business in some regard, it's used, but I'm not sure everyone's on the same page with what it means. Uh, artificial intelligence is not simply a one size fits all bucket. There are lots of components to it. So we're going to dive into understanding what is artificial intelligence versus machine learning versus deep learning. What have we actually accomplished? What are we able to do right now as a society versus what are we actually looking at in the future? There's a lot of things that go into this. Again, I'm not an expert, but we're going to get some help from some articles and some folks who know even more than I about this, to try and break it down, understand what the difference between these things are, how do machines learn? How do you develop this internally? How do you roll this out? We're going to dive into everything there about how we can be smart about artificial intelligence. We're going to wrap up just like we did last week with our new segment called Industry Rapid Fire. We're going to quickly hit on how airlines in the transportation industry, shipping in logistics in that industry and also sentient marketing in the retail industry. So transportation, logistics, and retail will be our industry rapid-fire topics of the day. So sit back, grab a drink, do some social distancing, and let's dive into some data. Our main topic today, again, is going to be being smart about artificial intelligence. So. Artificial intelligence is something that you've all heard of, undoubtedly. Everyone's generally aware of it. Um, We know that it is the future. I think everyone's kind of in agreement there that we're moving towards that, both from a data perspective and just a technological perspective. That's something we're aiming for and striving for. But there's a lot more that goes into artificial intelligence than some people think. Uh, It is not a simple either uh, you know create a machine like Hal in uh, uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, Um, Or something like that. There's actually different levels. We have a lot of this actually already in play that people might not realize something that is considered artificial intelligence that you might not consider it that way. But we're going to break down really what does this mean? Um, We're going to look at the different levels of AI, um, what narrow intelligence is versus general versus super artificial intelligence. Look at how machines learn um, and also quickly touch on if you're trying to develop this internally um, at your company or even with a a group of projects that you're working on, some of the critical steps and the two big sources I'm using for this today. There's a Medium article that was produced about a uh, month or so ago, give or take. Um, It's a great online publication. I encourage for anyone in the data world to check it out. Cerrokel um, is the company that wrote this one, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that, I'm not 100% sure on the pronunciation of that one, but they have a great article breaking down AI versus machine learning versus deep learning, what all those things mean, what do you actually need for AI. And the other one for the internal and how we develop this is going to be an article shared by Cassie Kazarkoff, chief decision scientist at Google, one of my favorites, I've referenced her before if you listen to the show. But let's start at the high level of what does it mean? Let's break down those three specific terms. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning. Artificial intelligence in the most basic level, again, thanks to this medium article for these definitions, are programs and machines that can creatively solve problems like humans. It's as simple as that. Anything that we classify as artificial intelligence just is simply a machine that can solve a problem like a human at the most basic level. If you go a step deeper, a subsect of AI that I've talked a lot about is machine learning. That's a subset of AI that can automatically learn and improve from experience without reprogramming. So what this is capable of doing is not only solving problems like humans, but specifically able to take its experiences, take its previous trials, learn from those, learn from previous information and improve the algorithm improve what it's doing without having a human component to truly reprogramming a formula or software whatever it may be the last even deeper step so a subset of ml that we're going to quickly touch on is deep learning also called deep neural learning tied in with neural networks it's a subset of machine learning that uses neural networks to analyze different factors in a way that's very similar to the human neural system we're going to get into that in a second a little bit more with what it means but in a oversimplified term um, it's able to connect a lot of dots across a lot of different channels it's not necessarily a linear path that it's following um, it operates very similar to probably the most incredible quote-unquote machine we've ever discovered that is the human brain um, which can do some incredible things and now the challenge is how do we get computers to be able to take all these inputs and create a neural structure like we inherently have in order to reproduce um, those capabilities. But at the levels of AI, so again, we're talking about AI and then machine learning is a subset of that. Deep learning is even a subset of machine learning. Um, they're kind of, if you look in this article, they actually have these concentric uh, circles that are kind of stacked down where AI encompasses everything, machine learning is a bubble within that, deep learning is a bubble within machine learning. And why I, if you listen in the past, I've talked about how we're not really there with artificial intelligence, we're there with machine learning. Um, now, if I say, well, you know, machine learning is a subset of AI, so how could we possibly have machine learning without AI? And I probably haven't done a good enough job of detailing what I mean by the future of AI and where I think, what I will actually consider to be a true AI breakthrough. And it depends on these three levels of artificial intelligence that have been defined. Um, they are ANI, AGI, and ASI. ANI, artificial narrow intelligence. This is also called weak AI. Um, uh, that's a common term that people use in the industry for, and that's really where we're at today in the present. That is what we have. What this is, is ANI can perform specific tasks but not going past for humans in a field outside of this defined capability. In other words, we're able to program something to be really good and optimized around a specific task or a specific group of tasks. However, that is its entire capability. It's not going to be able to do things that it wasn't planned, you know, wasn't set to do, wasn't programmed to do. Doesn't mean that it can't learn from it and, you know, change variables, do all those kind of things. However, it is restricted to, again, a type of analysis or you know, looking at risk factors or whatever it may be. It is defined to that and it's not going to um, all of a sudden learn how to you know, uh, be a barista or uh, paint a ceiling or something like that. It, it is defined for a specific purpose and it is capable for that specific purpose at being very effective, but not going to go outside of there. The next level, which is probably where we're starting to scrape the future on, um, it's still definitely in the future um, to be fully embraced, but that is AGI or artificial general intelligence. This is called general strong AI. That's another term you'll hear out there, just maybe sometimes in general be called strong AI. And what this is, is it's the goal to create machines that have human mental powers um, up to, but not uh, limited to consciousness. Okay. Now this is, this is a step forward where This isn't just simply um, something that can train itself on a specific task. This is a machine that can make their own decisions. It can learn without human input. Not only can it optimize itself on the current task, but it can learn other things without requiring a human to let's call it manually code that in. This is something where, um, again, there are technologies out there and there's definitely research being done around this um, where we're getting closer to this one. Again, I don't think this is fully out there in the world in practice, but we're getting close. The one that's a little further off um, and maybe very far off still is ASI or artificial super intelligence. Um, you can hear this called transcendent strong AI. Um, again, general, uh, general strong AI is that AGI. This is transcendent strong AI. Um, and super intelligence is also another word that you'll hear. Um, it's not referring to, you know, your uh, very humble coworker who thinks himself or herself to be the best out there. No, we're talking about true um, uh, computer uh, superintelligence, something that we haven't really touched on yet, we haven't been able to grasp, we haven't been able to produce as humans, but that is kind of the in-state. state, that is the, the, the final frontier, for lack of a better term. And what ASI or artificial superintelligence is all about um, is it's understanding and capable this machine is of all human capabilities, plus doing things that are way beyond our capabilities. So not only like the AGI, can it learn new things, make its own decisions without human input and improve, but it's able to do this in ways that far exceed human capabilities. So you could almost view AGI as um, trying to recreate everything a human can do. ANI is back to just something a machine can do. But ASI is something that is beyond our capabilities. It is, it it can go above and beyond. Um, There's three main fields that people are diving into. The reason we're not going to go too too deep into superintelligence is, uh, again, frankly, it's not a practical application right now to the business world. Um, It's still far off. It's a really cool, interesting topic. I'm going to encourage you to go check it out a little bit more. But um, and the three main components that we're really working on in order to eventually get to this super intelligence state um, would be machine reasoning, machine learning, and robotics. Those fields all need to advance. Um, we are advancing a lot in those fields, but they need to continue to advance in order to even make this a reality. Um, but ASI is far off, but again, ANI is absolutely everywhere. We're using it. Um, AGI is what I would consider, you know, when we get to that strong AI level, um, what I think of when I think of artificial intelligence and we're beginning to kind of touch on that and scrape the surface of that ASI is that far off goal that we're eventually going to get to, but, um, not going to be today, not going to be tomorrow, frankly, could not, it might not even be in any of our lifetimes. Not sure about that one. So, all right. Um, now that we've kind of understood that there are these three levels and that we've we've reached level one, we're reaching level two, we still have a way to go for level three. Um, we need to talk about how do machines learn um, and, and try and understand again, this is an incredibly complex topic. This is not something that I am going, you're going to walk away from this podcast, unfortunately, being an expert in this field, knowing everything that you need to do. Realistically, it's an incredibly complex topic that has a lot into it. Um, Obviously, there's entire fields of people devoting their lives to these kind of things. So we're gonna, again, this is going to be an oversimplification, but um, I kinda wanna take a little bit more of a plain English approach to it. Um, This still might not even be plain English for some of you, but um, we're not gonna get too, too technical with it. Um, And looking at how these machine learns, um, how these machines learn, pardon me, there are three main components to machine learning and what how these machines are able to do this. One is data sets, two is features, and three is algorithms. All right, so what do those three things mean? Data sets are samples of data, frankly. They're just the population of data you have. Um, these are critical for machine learning, and everyone thinks, well, we have a ton of data laying around no a good data set is not just simply a bunch of unconnected um you know mismatched data incomplete erroneous data Um, we're talking about a incredibly thorough large sample size a big subset of data but one that has been clean one that is accurate one that is very specific to what you're going for Um, that doesn't mean it can be has to be limited on the number of inputs or anything like that but it does need to be clean good usable data and this usually takes a ton of time and effort to create This is something actually um, uh, being able to use other, you know, machine learning AI capabilities to clean other data um, is a really cool little kind of tangent to this um, that some people are working on. If we can efficiently and automatically clean data more effectively, there are tools out there that do stuff like this now. Um, Frankly, there's some basic features that have been in Excel for 30 years around this, but um, truly being able to analyze and understand that data and optimize it. Um, can be a challenge but you need that critical data set you need the building blocks to build off of for lack of a better term if we're going to talk about machine learning the next one is features um, these are also i would say are variables um, but they're the pieces of data that work as the key to the solution of a task so these are the building blocks they are the specific variables for lack of a better term that are going to make up this data set that are going to be used in this program. Um, that we're going to draw correlations from, that we're going to draw insights and actions from. Um, they are the specific components that need to be well-defined. We need to have, again, the more typically the more data you have, the better. However, it is better to have accurate, smaller sets of data and only a handful of variables rather than have a million variables that you can't uh, you know, verify that are could be all over the place. Um, but features slash variables are the second critical component. And the third is the actual, we'll call it the intelligence, the formula, the algorithm, um, and it's the method designated to provide the solution. It's beyond just manually coding instructions. Um, It's the ability to draw conclusions. It's the ability to take this data set, take these specific features within this data set, run them through this algorithm in order to produce a result. So those are the three big components, again, data sets, features, and algorithms. Frankly, most people, when they think of artificial intelligence, they think of what needs to be done around this. I think they automatically go to the algorithm. Uh, And that obviously, that's going to be critical. This isn't going to work without all three of these components. But sometimes I think they overlook the first two, understanding your features and understanding the data set, ensuring you have an accurate, complete data set. That is the very first step um, of any project in this field, is making sure that you have good in, because um, my grandfather always used to tell me, um, a saying that I won't exactly repeat here, but um, let's we'll just simplify it by saying junk in, junk out. Um, he used a couple different terms that I won't use on a radio show, but um, at the end of the day, if you aren't providing good inputs, accurate data, there's no way for the machine to really learn and optimize. Again, if everything's actually disconnected, your data it's not accurate. Well, obviously, the insights and whatever you're able to draw out of that aren't going to be accurate. Um, And so let's so we have those three components. Um, This is how machines are going to learn. And really, what we're again going back to our first three levels of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then deep learning. We have the ability today to do low level artificial intelligence. Again, back to our weak AI. Uh, category. We have the ability to do this, but the difference in these, in taking it from machine learning to deep learning um, to get to those higher levels of artificial intelligence and really doing it, um, rely on these basic building blocks the whole way through. So, uh, something that I think people, uh, you know, let's demystify the term AI a little bit. Really, it is a highly optimized algorithm that. Um, Again, realistically, everything we're doing now is pretty much set by humans. Yes, the machine's learning and developing, but it's looking at things that are defined and set by humans. And we're moving to this point of being able to create machines that can not only um, do what they're programmed to do, but they can teach themselves to go outside of that. They can go find new data sets. They can go find new features. They can create their own algorithms. That's that next step towards... Um, Kind of removing humans as the limiting factor in the advancement of this is almost a way you could look at it. Um, But the last step here, again, we talked about AI and ML, um, but deep learning or deep neural learning, tying in with neural networks. This is something that, again, I'm not going to lie, I'm not the most educated on. Um, It's fascinating to me. I've done a lot of reading on it, but I still know. I mean, uh, again, just barely, barely scraping the surface of everything that's involved in this. Um, but what, again, deep learning is it's that class of machine learning that's inspired by the structure of the human brain, of the human neural network. Um, it's just kind of being developed right now in the last few years. This is actually starting to become a little bit actionable. Um, I definitely encourage you to go watch a couple YouTube videos, go read a story or two on neural networks. There's no way I'm going to do them justice um, in a podcast radio show, um, but there's a lot out there. and. Uh, maybe the most important way to look at this is the differentiators how is this different um, and the differentiator for this deep learning is the ability to extract features and classify them all in one instead of having human inputs on that feature extraction so again we're, we need to have this clean data set in a, we'll call it, you know, a a middle level um, artificial intelligence capability, some of the machine learning stuff, but not truly into neural networks and deep learning. The humans are defining those features. They're setting those up. The leap that we're talking about is a machine's ability to identify those features, extract those features, in addition to actually running the algorithm. Um, It is the next true step of intelligence that um, is able to connect different layers of data across channels if you see a neural network map it kind of looks like um, a massive you know uh, almost like pin board or something like that with a bunch of these little points and the idea is that it's not just information flowing through a single linear path it's not just a train going down the tracks instead it's the global network of these so every point has you know 100 other points that it can go to Um, and it's almost getting into a little bit the idea the difference between um, traditional computing and quantum computing where you have all these different variations of something compared to a linear path that's probably that's you know that's a uh, analogy that's going to fall apart if we take too deep into it but um, the idea is that it's not just a single pathway a single action is taking it's exploring hundreds or thousands or potentially millions of routes to arrive at this in order to optimize the decision, in order to optimize whatever the task it is it's trying to complete. Some of the applications when we look at this, uh, again, I understand that many of you probably who just listened to that are thinking, I, I know less about neural networks than when you started, TC. I, I get it. Trust me. I-, I warned you guys I'm not the expert here. Go check out some videos. Go learn more about it on your own. I highly encourage it. It's a fascinating topic. Um, but when we get into this application, some of the ways that You can think about this that are kind of already in place that are already being used by this deep learning. Um, Again, maybe it's a little bit of an elementary version of it. It's not going to be where it is in 10 years or 100 years, Um, but natural language processing and speech recognition. So that Alexa device in your house, that is speech recognition, um, a little bit of deep learning, definitely some artificial intelligence there where it's able to take your audio input, um, pretty much transcribe it into a waveform, understand what you are asking then able to uh, take the appropriate actions. It's obviously really impressive that, just based on my voice, a machine is able to realize that I'm asking Alexa to turn on the lights or um, play a song or whatever it may be. Um, that smart home you have is actually much more, much smarter than you even realize. Um, it's pretty impressive. Um, other industries and ways this can, is already kind of being applied. Um, portfolio management in the finance world, being able to optimize algorithms around managing investments and funds, things of that nature, in healthcare, researching and discovering new drugs, trying out all these combinations, Um, rather than humans having to try to configure the genomics of certain things. A machine is able to do millions at a time to find the optimal um, solution. Definitely something, frankly, that could come into play with what we're going through now with all the COVID stuff. Uh, I I told you guys in past episodes, we're not going to focus on it too much. This is the non-COVID show for a month or so, get you an escape from that. Um, That was our one little exception there. Sorry about that. Um, And the last application I'd say here is robots, self-driving cars, um, things that are just, again, scratching the surface where um, able to take a lot of external inputs and make smart decisions. Again, a car driving down the road by itself. Uh, We've made huge strides with this. You read about all the startups and all the companies investing in this. Um, But there's a lot of information that needs to process. Think about how many things as you as a human driving a car need to take into account and how do we get a computer to take those things into account? And again, it's not just the things that we can predict and expect. It's being able to adjust to the unexpected, being able to adjust to the thing that it isn't specifically programmed to handle. Um, again, it might be, you know, uh, it might recognize, um, a person walking out in front of the street and know it needs to stop. That can be programmed in something like that. However, the ability to, um, Look at a car accident coming up ahead and understanding that the braking of the car in front of them is going to cause a chain reaction, an accordion effect, this, that, and the other thing. Those things are more difficult to specifically code, so the machine needs to be able to adapt and learn from it. As we, I know, again, this is a incredibly complex topic. There's no way we're going to cover everything. Um, but I do want to quickly touch on, um, again, I, if you've heard me talk before about Cassie Kazakoff she's the uh, chief decision scientist at Google. Um, she's someone I look up to a lot, who I think is just absolutely brilliant um, in the world of analytics, in the world of data. And she put out a LinkedIn article, I believe it was about six months ago, could have been about a year at this point, honestly, um, of these little, these five steps that you need to take in order to, to start developing AI as a company. Um, obviously, this is more from a high level. You obviously need technical resources. Um, you will need the computing abilities, this, that, and the other thing. But we're talking about almost from a, let's call it a project management standpoint to AI. Because realistically, I don't think many people listening to this are gonna go develop their own algorithms. However, you absolutely might be start to use platforms or tools or services um, that provide these technologies. but. If you don't have the project management side of this down, it is guaranteed to fail. No matter what you're trying to do, it ain't going to work, folks. So those five steps um, that Cassie outlined. First, figuring out who's in charge. A clearly defined decision maker who is able to lead this effort and lead this project. Um, with this, be given the nature of how these kind of projects and AI is going to go, If you do not have a clear consensus of people, and ideally that's probably just a single decision maker who is defining these things, um, you're guaranteed to run into issues. We're going to get into bias later, um, but too many cooks in the kitchen is absolutely an issue with this. So defining a clear DM who is going to drive this and make the ultimate call on certain things that we run into is critical from the start. Um, Second, step number two, identifying your use case. The biggest point here. Um, Do not go blindly into thinking, um, well, let's, you know, let's build it and see what it tells us. Let's just figure out, you know, what it can do. No, no, no. Start with a clear desired output or clearly desired features um, that you're trying to go for and work to that. It doesn't mean it can't advance beyond that at some point. But if you allow you know, scope creep early in this process, you're never gonna get there because there's so many things you could potentially do. If you don't know exactly what you're going for and kind of stick to that script, you're never gonna get there. You're gonna end up you know, down some crazy rabbit hole continuously and never actually reach a actionable, useful in solution. The third step here, do reality checks keep focus and keep your goal in mind as you start to develop this and start to work through this, um, keep things reasonable, have a checklist of yourself for certain things that are critical along the way that, um, are we still, you know, are, depending on how this project goes, we're going to have to make little deviations here and there, but are we sticking the path? Um, going back to that decision maker, we talked about defining, um, and ensuring whatever that ultimate goal is, is the, uh, what we're striving for continuously throughout this project is going to be critical. The fourth step, crafting performance metrics and doing it wisely. Frankly, you want to almost lean towards simple metrics that can determine the success of this. Um, But what we're talking about is a certain thing that at the end of the day is going to be yes or no. It's going to be good or bad. It's going to work or it isn't going to work and trust those KPIs. Um, This kind of ties in with the last one for setting testing criteria to overcome human bias Um, With these KPIs, trust it and follow it. If you, before the project starts, you say, okay, if X and Y and Z don't happen, or if they do happen, um, then that is going to be a failure. Then let the project die with that. It's not, it shouldn't be considered a failure to put a lot of work into this and then not have it reach the desired goal. Frankly, you'd be better off doing that than you would going back and trying to understand Okay, well, this didn't work. Now let's tweak it here. No, kind of go back to square one if it doesn't work. Define whatever that critical success metric is. Follow it, trust it, stick to it. Start a new project. If you want to start a new project, that's fine. But don't let scope creep and continuously going outside of your lane detract you from actually getting to the goal at the end of the mind. Um, So again, to kind of sum up the three little keys here as we wrap up this topic, keep your goal in mind. Start simple. Stick to your parameters. Avoid human bias however you possibly can, because we know we're human, it happens. And again, I encourage all of you to go research more about this topic, more about this field. There's so much out there that we don't have time to touch on today that um, I'd be doing it a disservice to try and sum everything up here. So this is literally just view this as a teaser. Um, Go check out some of those articles that I mentioned. Um, Anything, again, from Cassie is always awesome. Um, She does a lot around this. So I encourage you to dive in deeper. With that, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back with our industry rapid fire to wrap up our show. Welcome back to diving into data. As we wrap up our show this week, we're going to follow the pattern from last week. I mentioned our new little segment, industry rapid fire. We're going to make it really quick this week. We're going to touch on a number of different industries. I want to make this applicable to many different industries and show you how data is being used in ways you might not realize or think of. Um, again, this week, I'm going to be using that Forbes Data collaboration, the Forbes Analytics Plus from Data to Answers article um, from October 2019. Again, if you haven't read Um, That feature and all the articles within that, I highly encourage you to go do it. Really cool stuff, kind of groundbreaking stuff. Um, But our three industries today are transportation, logistics, and retail. Diving in first, transportation. So the case study I was looking at here is something called Aviator. It's a Lufthansa platform that they developed, Aviator with all A's, no O there. Um, and what this system does is it uses real-time data to predict and preempt any operational speed bumps for the airlines. So it's looking at delays, parts breakdowns, anything that is, frankly, an operational no-no. Um, that's a terrible term, but we're going to go with it. Um, and what it does is rather than relying on testing or failures and being very reactive, it can monitor performance and warning signs actively f- through real-time data. It relies on tons of real-time data from you know planes, Um, from plane components, from the airports, weather in the areas, you name it, there's a million different real-time data sources that are constantly running in order to um, reach a goal of operational efficiency, avoid grounded planes, avoid delays, avoid breakdowns. This is a transition from, again, reactive to proactive, which is going to be a theme in actually all three of these industries where this platform does not wait for something bad to happen. It starts to notice when there's slight little performance warnings. If there's something that kind of triggers that th- makes you think there could be something wrong, they get ahead of it. The idea being get ahead of it and fix it before it becomes an issue rather than it becoming an issue. Potentially, again, grounding the plane, really uh, being resulting in a delay, um, creating actual operational goals. So being smart. That aviator platform is really cool. Um, encourage you to read more about that one. Next rapid-fire industry is logistics. So the case study here was the FedEx smart shipping. SenseAware is something that they uh, have been developing internally. And what is this talking about is smart sensors on package that are tied into an IoT structure. This isn't simply the okay, at this point, this person's going to scan it and it's going to get logged in the system. Um, frankly, the current tracking you do, I have a FedEx receipt literally sitting right beside me from something we shipped about a week ago. I'm able to go in and I'm able to see when it's checked in into a facility that it went from you know, the office I dropped it off to the distribution center to the um, national distribution center to the end goal and this and that. Um, that's good. And that's, that's, again, that's a great advancement compared to where we were 20, 25 years ago. But What we're talking about here at the Senseware is real-time reporting that doesn't rely on those. It's almost like a little GPS tracker um, that is, again, allowing uh, FedEx and other logistics providers to go from reactive to predictive, um, not just realize, oh, no, I scanned this package and realize it's a week late, but have a system constantly monitoring all those things so that they're aware that, oh, no, this thing is still in, you know, uh, this local regional warehouse and it was supposed to be uh, across the country in two hours. Um, well, it's actually probably even too reactive still. So it would get ahead of that. So that situation doesn't arise. Um, and obviously location of where things are is a big piece, but there's actually a lot more that goes into us. The temperature, um, surrounding the package shock or light exposure. Um, are they having, are the drivers or the, uh, the planes, whatever it is taking efficient routes, being able to confirm delivery the second that it happens. All these things allow for FedEx to move to a system again of predictive kind of, technology where it will get ahead of issues, um, eliminate more package delays, eliminate, uh, whether it's again, overexposure to temperature. Um, Things like that might always happen where, you know, an issue happens and the product is damaged or it's compromised in some way, but these sensors are immediately going to alert not only FedEx, but whoever frankly is shipping it, whoever the company is or person or entity um, that is relying on this package shipping or receiving um, to have this information and ensure accuracy throughout the process. They also touch on this other little future thing they're doing called The Bean. Lovely name, I know. Um, that's gonna even tie all this information into blockchain for greater reliability. So again, the Sensorware FedEx smart shipping, interesting stuff in the logistics world going beyond what we consider right now as frankly decently advanced for tracking. So interesting stuff there, check it out. Last industry for our rapid fire is retail and talking about, there's an article about sentient marketing and there's the future of customer um, engagement. Again, the main theme here is the shift from proactive to reactive. And what they're talking about is marketing technologies, tools, software, whatever it may be, that have sentience and are able to be aware and responsive to an environment. Um, and what that means is, again, we've gone a long way from a one-size-fits-all mailer to, yes, we can get people in all these different campaigns and we can segment people. That's one of the you know, flash terms of marketing is segmenting people. But what this is aiming for and the sentient market goal is, is actually a, what they call a segment of one. So it's not even just grouping you with other people just like you. It truly is developing a custom marketing exposure, advertising, whatever it may be system to you exactly for everything every individual is going to be unique and have a slightly different perspective use case whatever it may be developing marketing products and engagement that is very very customized to you Um, and frankly the way they summed it up which I thought was actually kind of cool is shift from combing through data to actually using it so rather than 90% of your time being spent trying to analyze the data for 10% of the time to actually be taking action on it using these tools and intelligence and advancements to constantly sift through all the data, go through everything, and take actionable steps so that you're, again, going from this reactive kind of Hey, we have all these technology, all these channels, all these segments. I realize now that this isn't going well. We need to tweak it. No, this system kind of developing it for you. It's customizing every single user and every target of yours um, for that segment of one approach. It's really cool stuff. Again, all three of these articles are part of that Forbes Analytics Plus from Data to Answers uh, episode they came out with or issue, I should say, and I highly encourage you to go check that one out. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for today. Again, we talked about being smart about artificial intelligence. We're only scraping the surface on what all this is, but hopefully have a slightly better understanding of truly what artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, what those mean, where we are today, ANI, AGI, ASI, where we're going to be in the future. There's a lot there. We'll probably unpack more in future shows, but we gave you a quick overview there, as well as our industry rapid fire around transportation, logistics, and retail. It has been a great episode. I've been excited to be working with you guys again, talking with everybody. I'm glad that we're back. We're running a couple weeks in a row now, getting back in the swing of things. If you have other topics that you're curious about, I will also encourage you to reach out to me, thomas.reilly at marketscale.com. I got a couple suggestions actually around AI before um, all the corona stuff started, so I'm glad we finally got back to it, but I'm always looking for new topics. I wanna be talking about what you guys care about. So let me know, reach out. I always love feedback. Um, Even criticism is totally fine. I prefer to be constructive, but I got thick skin. I can take it. So with that, I hope everyone stays healthy and safe out there. I hope everyone takes care. And we will talk to you next time on Diving Into Data.